Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. All right, let's look at today's teaching time. We're talking in, we're in the book of Mark, and we're in chapter 10. Before we go there, just to give you an idea of the theme of today, it's about, it's, it's about listening but not hearing. Um, uh, Simon and Garfunkel had an old song, um, I think it was called The Boxer, but there's a great line in it. It says, uh, people hear what they want to hear, and they disregard the rest. People only hear what they want to hear, and they disregard the rest. When we hear something we don't want to hear, it's, we have this filter that keeps it from getting into us. And the harsher the news or the more hostile we are towards it, the more unlikely we are to not even understand it. Watch this video. I'll, it'll help you understand it more. Mr. White? Yes. You understood what I've just said to you? Yes. Lung cancer. Inoperable. I'm sorry. I just need to make sure you fully understand. Best case scenario with chemo, I'll live maybe another couple years. It's just... You've got mustard on your... Right there, you have mustard there. Right there? Yeah, see, sometimes you can hear something but not understand it, or you can understand it but not understand it fully and because you don't want to hear it. People hear only what they want to hear, and they disregard the rest. And you know that to be true in this case because... He's maybe going to live two to three years, but he's more concerned about a spilled mustard on somebody's lapel. Um, when we, we do this. We filter what we hear, and we do this with relationships, and quite often that's why we have difficulties in relationships. We're not, we're not listening. We're not understanding fully. And the most important relationship we have is with Jesus Christ, and we can do that with him as well. We can just filter out and only hear what we want to hear, disregard the rest. Now, we're studying the book of Mark together, and we're doing that at least for a couple reasons. One is to find out who the real Jesus Christ is. Let him speak for himself. Let's read this biography by Mark and, 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 and submit to that, those truths. And then the other thing is we're learning about what it must be like to follow Je- the real Jesus Christ. We, we put ourselves into the lives of the 12 disciples and the other people around him and say, okay, if that happened in real life, in real time to them, and they responded in a certain way, then I'll bet we would do the same thing as well. We're probably doing it right now because we would respond like that. And today we're going to find out that the the disciples, they only hear what they want to hear, and they disregard the rest. And if they can be with Jesus and still be able to do that, that's then that's amazing, and I'll bet we're doing it as well. I want, what I want to do today is I want to show you how pervasive and how powerful selective listening is. 
I want you to, I want you to hear and understand how pervasive and how powerful selective hearing is. So let's just pick up where we left last week. We were in 10, chapter 10, verse 31, and Jesus said this. Many of, you, many of, the, of those that are first are going to be last, and many of the last are going to be first. At that, he turns and he heads towards Jerusalem, and they're on this trail, and he grabs the 12 and pulls them over to the side, and here's what he says. And he's taking, uh, he's, t- he's taking the 12 off over again, and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem. He says, okay, see, okay, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will, be, they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And he will, they, will, they will mock him, and they will spit on him, and they will flog him, and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. That's what he says. They don't hear it. They only hear what they want to hear, and they disregard the rest. They, they don't want to hear anything except he's going to Jerusalem. And so they're, they're living by faith is really living by lies. They're not living by faith because he's not saying the things they want him to say. And he, they're not trusting in the things he is saying. Now you ask, how do I know that they don't understand it? Well, because in Luke it says this. Same passage, he goes, and the disciples did not understand any of these things. So I'm, not, okay, so I'm not just saying this, I'm just reporting the news here that it says the disciples did not understand any of this. The second reason I'm convinced they, they, are, they, they don't fully grasp, fully understand what he's saying, they're filtering it, is because the very next sentence, okay, the details of his, his excruciating death and resurrection, right? The next sentence is this. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, with their mother, we know that from Matthew, they bring their mother over. They come up to Jesus and they say to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus says to them, Okay, what do you want? I mean, look, wouldn't that be a great way to start a prayer? We probably do that, right? Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do a favor, but first you have to say you're going to do it. We're going to ask, Mom, come over here. Come over here. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, do exactly what we say. Okay, let me put it another way. Jesus, uh, John's been rubbing the lamp, and now, you, and now we get three wishes. So let's go. And here's what they ask. Okay? And they said to him, can you grant us to sit one on your right hand and the other on the left when you come, you know, in your glory? In your glory, in the spectacular you know, exhibition of your power. We're going to sit on the right and the left, and that means those are the two most powerful positions. There's on the right, that's the first most powerful, and the second. And so we're just thinking that you would, we would give us this favor, I mean, the first and second places. Did they, look, here's the part they heard. They heard that he was the Messiah, okay? They, they heard that, and they heard that he's going to Jerusalem, and so, like, it's like the video. Do, do you fully understand what I just said? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, going to Jerusalem, and then you're going to be turned over, and then you're going to be flogged and spit on, and then die, and then be raised again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Jesus, you got a little mustard right over there on your, on your tunic. It's right, it's right, Jesus, it's right, it's right there. And by the way, um, we were just all wondering if we could be on your right and your left. In your glory. When was Jesus in his glory in this lifetime, in his lifetime? When was he showing the power of his majesty? 
Because he tells these men, James and John, you don't know what you're asking for to be on my right and left. As it turns out, there is a spot available on my right and my left in my glory. There they are. You don't know, you don't know what you're, you're not, li- he says, look, he's saying, you're not listening to me. Something is keeping you from hearing what I'm truly, clearly saying. You only hear what you want to hear. This is not the first time Jesus says these words about his, his beating and his death and his resurrection. He will say the same message three times and in three chapters. I mean, why are we studying Mark? Okay, we're studying Mark so that we know who the real Jesus is and then to know what it's like to follow the real Jesus. The real Jesus says, he speaks plainly, it says. The real Jesus says three times, three chapters, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised again. They don't understand. They don't fully understand. Look at, look at 8, this is review, 8.32. And they be, then he began, Jesus began to teach them, the Son of Man, okay, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, the teachers of the law, and then... Uh, he must be killed, and after three days, he will rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And if you remember, Paul, Peter responded violently, oh, no, you don't. And he's like, what? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> you know, next chapter, okay? Chapter 9, verse 31. And then he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, they, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. But they did not understand the saying and we're afraid to ask him about it. Next sentence. And then they came to Capernaum, and when he was at the house, he asked them, hey, what were you guys discussing on the way? I thought I overheard you say something. But they were silent, for on their way, they were arguing about who was the greatest. And when he sat down, he called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, you're going to want to be last and servant of all things, of all men. Three times, three chapters. I'm going to suffer, die, and be raised again. Three times, three chapters, he's gonna, he says, you want to be first? You're going to need to be last in the servant of all men. Okay. I mean, what, I mean there's, just, there's something happening here that keeps them from hearing this. And if it can happen to them, it certainly can happen to us, right? I mean, we, we have to, if, if these men... Um, spend, let's say, three years with Jesus in pretty much 24 hours a day. And, and when he says something so clearly to them, but, and yet they can't respond in, in understanding, it's because something's stopping them from hearing that. And, 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 we, and do we do that? That's our first application. Do, are we listening to him in a kind of a humble and a submissive and open way? Or do we start our prayers with, okay, here's my list of to-dos for you. I want you to say yes to these things, and then I'll tell you what they are. And we, we, honestly, we say our prayers that way quite often. doesn't matter. I mean, it's, we, we don't consult whether it's the will of God. We just say it's the will of Matt. You know, it's, it's my will be done. And then think about how we, how we listen when we hear. When he clearly tells us what he's up to, do we filter that and only hear what we want to hear? So many of us, especially in this country, we just want to be happy. And friends, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that's a big thing for God. Because if you look, uh, happiness is, it's kind of a byproduct. Well, it absolutely is a byproduct of being holy. 
He wants you to be holy. He absolutely wants you to be holy. Holiness produces happiness. Happiness won't get you to holiness. And so when we keep hearing these passages, Sermon on the Mount or whatever it might be, when he's telling us the way it is, what real life is like, blessed are you who suffer, blessed are you who hunger and thirst, we say, well, I like the blessed part. I like the part where I inherit everything, right? And so are we filtering that? When we, when we, when we pray for our children, what do we pray for them? Do we pray, oh, God, please make them live a happy, safe, calm life. If there's going to be wind, make sure it's downwind, you know. I mean, every, and, and I'm telling you, that is not God's will for your children's life. God's will for your children's life is to be whole and complete and lacking in nothing and filled with faith and acts, acts of courage. And if you can't hear that, is his goal for your children, then you're, it's going to be very difficult for you to respond when maybe quite literally God places in a situation to live by faith or to act out in courage. And here comes the mom and dad swooping in because this can't be God's will. I didn't hear it. I'll rescue them. I'll save them from the very thing that would make them whole and complete and lacking in nothing. Pretty easy to do that. It's pretty easy because we have assumptions about who God is and, and we have selfish ambition about what we want to do. We, that's, what they, that's what these men are at, so much ego involved. But Jesus is talking about this miserable future of his, and they say, hey, how can I get ahead? And it's selfish ambition. It's our, our, our selfish turning in towards what we want out of life, and everything else is a means of getting that, and, and, and the assumptions that we have about God. And that's that is what makes us filter what God is telling us. We only hear what we want to hear, and then we disregard the rest. You want to hear God? Here's what you do. You read, you find out who God is, what he's like. He will not apologize for who he is. And then and you find out what he's done. He will not ask forgiveness for what he's done. And you find that out, and then accept it. That's who he is. I mean, it's a life, actually, it's not a lifetime, it's an eternity of discovery. And then you find the second part is, is, what is God's will for your life? What is he up to? He clearly states it, especially in the Newer Testament. He clearly states what he's up to in our lives. And then you don't argue with it. You, know, you don't expect him to apologize for it. You just accept it. And when you accept who he is and what he's doing, you'll be able to hear him. But if, you, or if you're gender-driven and it's all about you, you'll, you'll be deaf to this. You can't hear a thing. If, if, if you're in agreement, you'll hear. If you're arguing, it's, you're just going to be looking for mustard. <laughs> right? Okay, this drama continues. This is great. It keeps getting better because in verse 41, it says, And when the, and when the ten heard it, they, began, they be, became indignant uh, because of James and John. They're indignant because they're jealous. Okay? They're mad that these two got there first and brought their mom in on it. Okay, are you, these are grown men, by the way, kind of. If you, here's what, I, I read this, they're heading to Jerusalem. I just pictured them all in a giant station wagon, 12 guys and a mom, I guess, and Jesus is driving, and they're going, stop touching me, oh, stop touching me, stay touch me. You know, Peter says, you're, he's your favorite, Jesus. No, James and John are trying to sit in the front again, and Jesus is like, what? You know, I mean, when we used to drive, when I was a kid, when I was a child, I don't know how it was in your family. And things were different back then, so just let, let's just give that a break a little bit. But you, you sat so that dad couldn't hit you on a backhand. 
Okay, that's you rent you if you you didn't sit on the hump because it was the hump. You sat in the far side so he couldn't reach you because the man could drive and hit at the same time. And there was one time we were coming back from the beach and we were in between Three Rivers and, and Kingsville, Kingsland, I think. And if you've ever been there, it's just a, a wasteland as far as you can see. And Dad pulled over, and it was like, oh, Dad never pulls over because he's so effective in driving and hitting. And he threw my brother out of the car and just drove, left him there. I mean, he warned us 17 times, but dad still. And I mean, my mom was five miles behind, but five miles, 60 miles an hour, five minutes standing on the side of the road. That was good. That was good. He, my, my, he was making a point. My, my father was making a point. Picture this. Third time. Jesus is saying this for the third time. So now he's pulling over his little station wagon filled with a bunch of disciples that are 13 years old, and he says this in verse 42. And Jesus called them to him, come over here, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers in the Gentiles, Gentiles, they love to lord it over and use their power. All their great ones exercise authority over them. Yeah, 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 but that's not what we do. This, is not, this shall not be a way it is among you. But whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. Third time I've said that, okay? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That he would give up his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, look, this is how life works. This is how the solar system was made. This is how your soul was designed. Not to be like a Gentile about power acquisition, about knowing the right people, about having money so that you can have influence and independence. That's not it at all. That is not the way you were designed, the way you were molded, the way you were made, the way the universe runs. It's, it's running on servanthood and selflessness. You were made to serve. You were born to serve. And that's where the power is. That's where the power, the power is in, in changing a soul is in serving other people. Here's what happens to happen, though. You have to, you have to turn away from, we're bent. We're turned in on ourselves. We're so, like the whole world, the universe runs around us. That's our bent. It's not the way we're designed. We were designed to turn out, to look and enjoy to other people and serve them. And he says, when that happens, when you're facing out, that's where you have power. That's where, and what, that's where you serve. What does service mean? Service means that I'm, that I'm thinking about other people as more important than myself. That's what it says in the Bible. And it says, how can I like, give up my rights and my freedoms so that I could help you become more mature? Fundamentally, that's what service is. How can I sacrifice my rights and my freedoms so that I can help you become more mature? That's where power is. Look, here's a a good example of that, let me show you if it's, if it's held true, parenting. Great example. Good parenting, great example. Because a, a, a person who's a parent has power over that child to make them mature. The hand that rocks the cradle rocks the nation. Why do we say that? Because it's servant that produces a whole nation. What does a parent do? A parent says, I'm going to give up my freedom and my rights for about 20 years. <clears throat> I didn't know that, but, uh, but I will. And, and, and you just say, I'm going to put aside personal ambitions because, now watch this, we'll see it again, because you are more important than my personal ambitions. See, I think parenting is, is the first taste of servanthood most of us will ever experience because it's the first time we've fallen in love with something 
that we love more than ourselves. And so sometimes it can almost be a natural thing for you to say, I, I want to I I read to this child. I want to serve this child and teach them how to read. And I'm going to read the same book a thousand times. And then you're going to get down on your knees and you're going to stare into that little child's eyes because you want to give them honor and respect. And you're going to say, now tell me the story. And the story takes longer than the actual event. And he's like, I'm going to do that because I'm going to serve this child and let him know that he has, has dignity. And, and just teaching them how to dress and bathe and grow up and the affirmations that are 10 to 1 in the ratios. We do this because if we're good parents because we find ourselves more in love with that child than we are in love with our personal ambitions and our own selfish freedoms and agendas. That's power, friends. That's service showing itself in power. There are vocations that in, in the service industry that have tremendous power if the people in, understand the power of service. If you've, um, let me, here's an example, is, is a nurse. If you've ever had an extended stay in a hospital or know someone, someone you love has, there's a couple of types of nurses. There's efficient nurses that will get the job done. And there's nurses that serve. And they understand you. And they will care for you. And they will give you dignity while in this state of, of, of not a lot of dignity. And they have power. You go and you tell your friends about the, that type of nurse, a nurse that serves, a nurse that understands, a teacher. There's a teacher that teaches, and there's a teacher that listens. And a teacher that listens and has turned out, and it's not about her it's, or him, and, and it's about caring for and listening, they have power. See? Don't be like Gentiles. It's all about, you know, you, you can't change a soul by making them do something? Jesus says that's not how it is. You, can't, you don't have a, a power of that. It's not about control. It's not about who's going to sit on the right and the left. Okay? A servant says, what can I do to give you honor? What can I do to give you respect? How can I help you? you know, how can I listen to you? How can I give you? How can I help you? And a servant, a real servant, this is where it gets very difficult. A real servant doesn't need to, to be... I don't know, honored and, and attaboyed and appreciated because they're not doing it for that. See, some people will serve so that they'll feel good about themselves or that they'll get caught serving. Well, that's not, that's not service. That's, that's Shamu. Shamu jumps up and she gets a fish. Okay, so she's a good, good Shamu. A servant does it because it, it's who they are. It's how they've become because they've turned out, they're selfless, and now they're just looking for people to give to. Do you see? It's a, it's, true service is selfless and towards another person. And so it's not like the person, you, I've worked my fingers to the bone for this place. That, that doesn't happen with real servants. You're, uh, uh, he's, he's saying the power of servanthood comes because you're self-forgetful, great phrase. You're self-forgetful, not just selfless, but self-forgetful. Let me, and Jesus, his whole life is full of this, and of course he can always be an example, but sometimes it just, it's amazing to watch. When Jesus listened to his servant, listen to how he's turned out, and he's self-forgetful. He's self on the cross, friends, on the cross, okay? Roman engineering, it's famous, right? Greek and Roman engineering. They have engineered the most painful but long-lasting method of 
murder that they could come up with. And Jesus is experiencing this in his final moments. One of the things he says, hanging from a cross, is he looks down and is thinking about his mother. And he says to John, John, hey, will you, can you take care of your mom? Really? Look, I've been a little under the weather for like two or three days, and friends, I'm working it, you know? I'm going to need some ice cream. I'm going to need you to put the ice cream in my mouth. It's like my hands are too weak. He's on the cross, and he says, can you, I, he forget, he's self-forgetful. So, listen, if Jesus can serve these knuckle-headed disciples, can you serve the people you work with? There's two or three of them that are knuckleheads, but that's okay, right? If the Son of Man came to serve his church, can you serve your church? Son of God came to seek and to save the lost. Can you serve your neighbors? The King of Kings, slow, listen. The King of Kings got on his knees and washed the feet of Judas. Could you serve a family member you don't like spending time with? The great I am disguised himself in skin and came here so that we could torture him and kill him. Can you serve? See, can you serve? You can. Here's the problem. How do people change? We've had two applications so far, right? Listening to God without an ego and then serving our fellow man selflessly. How do you get there? If you wrote your notes, I'm going to listen to God without an ego, how? How are you going to become selfless and self-forgetful? That's the problem. How do you change? <laughs> How can you do these things? Did you make your list? Good. You're missing it. How do you change? The answer is probably a clue, and it came in that parenting illustration. That's why I used it. You have to love something more than you love your ego. You have to love something more than you love yourself. You have to focus on something that's more valuable than you. You want to become a servant? Do you want to become selfless? You know, do you want to, you want to become self-forgetful? You have to change your focal point to something that's so much grander, so much more beautiful, so much more expansive than you are that you kind of forget about yourself and your selfish ambitions and your ego. And then you can hear, and then you can serve. And that's, that's, that's why we're studying, by the way, this is one of the reasons we're studying this book of Mark, because we want to find out who Jesus really is. And we want to find out who he is and what he's done. And, how, and what he's done for us, how he's honored. He's giving us his honor. And when he gives us his honor, we give him our shame. And when we talk about shame, our shame... Then he interrupts and goes, oh, 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 are we talking about you again? 
Because that's still a very selfish way of looking at your life. All You all filled with shame because you have my honor. Why would you think and look and meditate on that? You see? See how it's, just, it's, it's an attention that's drawn away from something less to something more. That's what happens to James and John. I mean, this is a spectacular story, is it not? Isn't this a spectacular story in, 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 in the, at least these two men about their blind ambition? They hear the Messiah, who they believe is the Messiah. They hear him say for the third time, now with great detail, that he will go to Jerusalem, he will be turned over to the Gentiles, and they're going to spit on him, and they're going to flog him, and they're going to kill him, and then he's going to die, and he's going to raise again. And they say, can I be first and second? Do you know people that are that ambitious? I don't, I mean, so I, I want to exalt for you know, just as kind of a model of what dirt balls these guys are. And then the other 10 are right behind him going, mm, you beat me to it. And yet, and yet, that's not who they are later. What happened to these two? James is the first one to be martyred. John is the last one to die. Now they're the first and the last. They got what they really wanted. They were never talking about on the left and the right ever again. They experienced Jesus in who he was and what he did. Eleven of the guys, one committed suicide, the other ten ran. John was there, friends. He watched it. He didn't stare at a crucifix. He stared at Jesus on a cross. He smelled him. He was splattered with Jesus' blood, and he says, this is different now. John lost himself that afternoon. And he, he couldn't think about what he wanted anymore because it was, it was consumed by the glory of Jesus, now in his splendor, doing the Father's will. And then comes the resurrection. And then a thing called Pentecost where the Spirit of God indwells his soul that keeps reminding him about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's what we talk about. We talk about how do we become selfless so that we can hear selflessly and how we can serve selflessly. How do you change? You focus on something more beautiful than yourself, and it happens to you. When I, I think personally, and other people would probably uh, say that, that C.S. Lewis's best material, his creativity and his theology is in his fictions, uh, his space trilogy, science fiction series. And in this final book called That Hideous Strength, uh, there's a person that represents Jesus. His name is Ransom, obviously, you know, for the ransom of many. And the lead character, female character in this is a woman named Jane. And Jane is a selfishly ambitious, egotistical PhD candidate who's married to a selfishly ambitious, egotistical professor. And their marriage is in trouble. Imagine that. Because they're both takers and the other person's never giving enough. And she's going to have, Jane is going to have a conversation with Ransom. And she doesn't want to because she doesn't like what she's seen happens to people when they meet with Ransom. And so she goes into this meeting and she has a chip on her shoulder and a, and a life like clinging dedication to living independently the way she wants. I'm going to read an extensive uh, quote from this book. Please excuse me for that. But here's what I want you to listen for. This is a quote from her, Jane, riding back on the train after meeting with Ransom. And she is realizing she's changed. Just by having an audience with Ransom, just by watching him eat some toast and having a conversation, 
She's spellbound by him. And she's watching herself change. I want you to listen for how because she's lost herself, right, and she's becoming self-forgetful, she's awakening herself, and what she gains is simple pleasures. She's appreciating another human soul that she used to be annoyed with. She's starting to see herself in a way that's not even vain. She's starting to realize that she could give in her marriage and not just take. This is the power of a person that is consumed by something greater than her own self. Let me read it, okay? Jane was simply in a state of joy. Her old self had no longer had... I'm sorry, her old self had no power upon her anymore amid the light and the music and the festive pomp and the brim of life and radiant health. And now that she's clothed in these shining garments that surround her soul, whatever she tried to think about always led back to ransom and himself and in him and joy. She saw from the windows from the train outlined the beams of sunlight that were pouring now through the brush in the woods. And she felt like they were like notes from a trumpet. Her eyes rested upon the rabbits and the cows as they flittered by as she went on her train and she embraced them with her heart with mercy like holiday love. She delighted in the occasional speech of the one uh, wizened old man who shared her compartment and saw, like she'd never seen before, the beauty of his shrewd and sunny old mind. She reflected with surprise about how long it had been since she played that since music had played any part in her life. And she resolved that day to go listen to some Bach when she got home that evening. Or maybe perhaps she could read some great Shakespeare sonnets. She rejoiced in her hunger and her thirst and decided she would love to have some buttered toast with tea, a great deal of buttered toast with her tea. Listen to this. She rejoiced in her consciousness of her own beauty. For she had this sensation, and it had no vanity attached to it, that her beauty was growing and expanding like a magic flower in the very minute before her. And in such a mood, and it was very natural, that she would stand up and look at herself in the mirror that was in her compartment. And she saw herself certainly that she was looking well, and she was looking unusually well. And for once, and there was no vanity involved, her beauty was made for someone else. Her beauty belonged to Ransom. And it belonged to him so completely that he could even decide not to keep it for himself, but he could give it away. He could give it to her husband. And she saw that giving her beauty to her husband out of obedience to Ransom was more delightful than if he had ever demanded it himself. She's turning out. And she's living the life that God had for her. Do you see the power of that? How, how do you change? How do you not listen in a way that your ego gets involved? How do you serve selflessly and self-forgetfully? Well, it's, you, you have to focus on something more beautiful, more valuable, more amazing than your own selfishness. That's why we're studying the book of Mark. Here's how you can do it. You can start tomorrow. Here's how. Simple formula. We've talked about it here many times. Just start tomorrow morning off. Five minutes or 15, whatever sets you up to win. Everybody wins. Five minutes or 15 minutes, just read from the book of Mark and find yourself, who is this Jesus, really? 
Who is this? What is it like to, to follow Jesus? Meditate on that. I'll tell you how to pray in just a minute, but meditate on that. And then sometime throughout the day, you know, like take a cigarette break or something. Tell your boy, yeah, I'm smoking now. I'm going to go take a cigarette break. Don't lie. Actually, take up cigarette smoking so you can go out back and Sometime throughout the day, same passage. More is not better. Same passage. You're saying, God, who is Jesus? Who, what is he like? What has he done? Right? And, then, and then again, at the end of the day, same passage. End your night thinking on these great things, hearing these great things, meditating on these things about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, and, and pray this prayer. Pray, Lord, you, you clearly want me to... Lose myself in you. Lose my selfishness in you. Would you allow your spirit to zap my spirit when I'm turning conversations towards me, when I'm moving life around so that it works for me best, so that I'm moving parts and I can't hear you because I'm deafened by my own ego? Could you just stop me? I will, at that moment in my mind, I will confess that. I will repent that. I will not feel condemnation. And we will move towards self-forgetfulness. And friends, my, friends, the Lord will answer that prayer for you. It's not something that, that you overcome in a, two easy steps in, in a weekend, right? I mean, we just got to constantly be asking God's spirit to say, is it still about me? Is it still about, it's okay, stop, kill that thing. Kill that thing. Now let's talk about you. Let's focus on the beauty and the, and the majesty of Jesus. That's how. That's how. How do you live a life that's selfless, self-forgetful, that's servant-oriented, to hear God. How do you do that? You focus on something more beautiful, more powerful, and this is how you do it. You want to change your life? This is how to change it. Let's be a church with people that are servants and that hear God. I'll I'll pray to that end. Lord Jesus, oh, all the times we have given you a to-do list all the times we have told you how to raise our children. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to see past our addiction to happiness and our addiction to ease and that we would want to be holy and pure and complete and like you. Lord, I'd ask that you'd help us understand what that means, that you're your destiny for us is to be like Christ. And Lord, I'd ask that you would, as we talked about, that you would, you would zing us, that you would zap us, that you would, like your, your spirit would give our spirit just a nudge when we, we just keep turning it in. We keep thinking about either our shame or our accomplishments. Either way, it's still, it's all about us. And it's so expensive to think about us when we could be thinking about you. So, Lord, would you give us the words and the thoughts and the, and, and the discipline to turn our hearts towards you in good times and, and bad times. You know, how great thou art. How great thou art. We pray that it would be our life. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.